and welcome to the Dice of Screaming podcast. Oh, oh. Wow, that's chilling. <laughs> Not exactly spine tingling stuff. All right. That, no. Yeah. Well, hey, we no. gotta have a hype man. This 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 is not uh, trauma films. Oh yeah, bad. Or Roger Corman production. Oh yeah. Well, and you know that brings us to today's. You know we are the Roger Corman production of gaming podcasts. Oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, at least you'll have your TNA quotient filled up, and then some. No, this is uh, the Dice of Screaming. I'm Randy. I'm Mike. And today we're going to talk about some topics, because it's Topic Tuesday. That's what we do around here. And, of course, uh, we just come off of our last podcast talking about uh, conventions. And much thanks to Abby Dresky for showing up, kind of improvident with us, and uh, talking about her experiences as a cosplayer and also gamer. And uh, giving us a different perspective. So, well, again, yeah, thanks, Abby. I mean, you know, new convention goers and old convention goers alike, there's stuff there to be enjoyed by everyone. I mean, you know, fun for the whole family. Uh, <laughs> I'm a big fan of them myself. Although it's been a while since I've been to a very large con. Yeah. We've uh, talked a lot about uh, small cons. And uh, of course, our main emphasis was on the great big con, which is I think every gamer should at least try it, uh, to show up once or twice in their lifetime to just sample what a Gen Con or Origins or other great big convention is and just uh, see for yourself. It, it is an experience onto its own. Yeah, you get up over 10,000 people and you're seeing some real con action there. You get up over 50,000 people and, I mean, it's like freaking Woodstock for gamers. Now, yeah. obviously, you know, it's not like 400,000 people in a muddy field uh, <laughs> taking the brown acid. Oh. <laughs> and sharing a communal toothbrush in a tent that smells like goat. Oh. Uh, yeah, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. Although... No. Uh, Packing everything up and traveling with friends across uh, a state or two, uh, you know, it is kind of an epic journey. Mm -hmm. So, well worth it. I'm glad we did that as an episode. And it was yeah. great to have Abby's input, because uh, hearing it from a different perspective always just, you know, it opens the brain. Yeah, so we'll be doing more guest episodes as things go along here. But uh, we're also going to get into some much overdue uh, accolades to our... Listeners, uh, Frostoff and uh, Joe Richter. Yeah. So we got some call-ins from them, so we're just going to get right on to it. So take it away, Froth. Gentlemen, it's Froth. I wanted to let y'all know I enjoyed listening to your Pathfinder episode. Also wanted to mention, is that it didn't seem like y'all spent too much time on it or mentioned it. Um, one thing I liked about Pathfinder 2, or like about it, is the Pathfinder Society. I think they did a really good job with the organized play. Um, it's been really easy for me to jump in on games, and so that's that's primarily the reason I have some experience with Pathfinder is because of their organized play, and if I've had a night off or a, a night that I could game, and and uh, it's given me a way to just jump into a game, and so I've enjoyed that. So, anyway, keep up the great work as always. See y'all later. All right, thanks for that, Sionic Platypus. And, of course, yeah, Pathfinder organized play. Yeah, the Pathfinder Society and their convention play teams. Yeah, th those are worth mentioning. We didn't really want uh cover that because we are just talking about the game system primarily. But, uh, yeah, that is a good point, and especially ties in with our convention was where we were kind of going with that yeah. is that, 
you know, the RPGA back of the day and uh, other, uh, I guess, uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics has its team. And, of course, uh, Hackmaster has its uh, Hackpat uh, travel <laughs> conventions. And really? Stuff. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, but I, I like that the, the concept of community and uh, interactiveness, you know, where yeah. it's a concurrently running, uh, updated, you know, multi it, MMORPG in real life. Yeah. You know, it, that... <laughs> That concept, Pathfinder did a fine job keeping that concept alive. Yeah, it was real easy to pick up games if you had a local uh, society running. Uh, we had one in Battle Creek here, but it's kind of petered off a little bit. But, uh, you know, uh, Adventure League is also out there, too, for D&D. And uh, that bears some mentioning as well. But Yeah, strongly approved. You know, I, I think mean, that look, it, it may be uh, strategically a little different than the old school RPGA and Pathfinder approaches. But the spirit of it, the, the core concept, still there. And I'm just actually very, very glad uh, that that concept has stayed alive in current gaming. Because there, there was the possibility during some of the more radical transitions from system to system, uh, you know, the, the rise in popularity of one and the, the fall of another, that we might have lost the thread a little. You know, that some of these things could have been unraveled and forgotten and thrown in the dustbin. That didn't happen, and, you know, I'm actually pleased to punch about that. Yeah, and, you know, organized play has been a big part of role-playing experiences and convention going, so glad that uh, you got some time in the saddle with Pathfinder. Uh, like I said, uh, we were pretty happy just to have Pathfinder around, and they've done a really good job with their Pathfinder Society, so it's I'm very eager to see where they're going in the future with this. But... Uh, Thank you, Roth, and as always, I love your podcast and what you're doing, so you keep doing you, man, and keep the calls coming. Thank you. But right now, we're going to turn it over to Joe. He's got some ideas to share with us about Pathfinder as well. Hey, what up, fellas? I just want to say I thought that was a really awesome, super fair, uh, really in-depth look at Pathfinder and Paizo, a good examination of the history of the game, and I thought you did it justice. So thanks very much. It's always awesome to hear some Pathfinder talk out there. Um, yeah, uh, we're having a blast at 2E. But Randy, I totally feel you on not wanting to switch, man. That makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, that's what I actually talk about in my uh, RPG a Day episode today on familiarity. So you can check that out over at Hindsightless if you want, because I'm an anchorite too now, boys. All right, and thanks, Joe. Yeah, uh, yeah, I don't bear any malice to the second edition. Uh, I know there's some rancor on there, and there's some grumpy gusses out there uh, hooting and hollering about how they hate the second edition. And hey, you know, big deal. Um, I was a little traumatized at the first outing because, like, I'd really just gotten my sea legs under me at the time that the uh, first edition was still around. And you, you just learn on that system, get a feel for it, you know, making it work for you, and then they shuffle everything. I was I was a little upset at the time, but I really hit my stride during the second edition era. I mean, it was honestly uh, the period during which I I think I got the most practice DMing. Uh, so, You're talking about AD and D, yeah. So oh, okay, yeah, right. Yeah, AD and D. You know, two e campaign. Uh, that was it. Was a beloved moment. For me now, I envision that with the Pathfinder changeover, uh, 
you know, a lot of people are going to have that same experience. There's going to be a lot of disgruntlement right out of the gate, but there are also a lot of new players coming in. Yeah. And, and they're going to have this first experience. They're really going to get their DM chops, their player experiences in under a new system. And I, I don't think it's going to diminish their enjoyment of it. I think they're going to have as good a time as all the other folks who ever hit a table with their pals. Uh, so, no malice. Nope. I like uh, playing, I call it Pathfinder Classic. I don't know if that's going to be a thing, but that's what I call it. I, that's just the game for me, and I'm happy with it. So, at some point, I'll probably uh, obviously play uh, Second Edition. I'll pick up the book. But I don't know if uh, right now that's in my uh, future to play uh, Second Edition for uh, some time yet. But Well, you know, certainly not in mid-campaign. I mean, no. if, you, if you have an ongoing underway campaign, you know, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a shake-up to expect people to embrace right off the Right out of the gate. Yeah, and I've got several others uh, lined up on the back burner for you guys. So, oh, hot keep dog. Yeah, it's, I get to indulge my my player fun time. Yeah, uh, I have. Uh, <laughs> I put a lot of DM time in over the last few years. Yeah, uh, it, it's been a long, long labor of love, and I'm looking forward to winding up a campaign and then, uh, you know, <laughs> your joyful co-host of this podcast. It's going to go on hiatus. I'm going to take off the DM hat, and I'm just going to be a player for a while. And I'm mm-hmm. going to play some. Uh, I'm, I'm going to play some newer editions that I haven't played before, and just be a learner. You know, yeah. Get my my practice in and develop a feel for new systems. So I I really feel like I want to be involved with and be a part of the evolution of games rather than just a custodian of gaming's really awesome past. Uh, you know, there's there's more out there than just what I've done so far. And, you know, hey, that's that's how you learn. You know, you never stop learning. Exactly. Yeah, so thanks a lot, Joe. And uh, enjoy your podcast, Pine the Pound at uh, Hindsight. This, and uh, yeah, it's uh, you uh, hit the nail on the head in a lot of things. Really like listening to it. So keep up the good work, man. Uh, we'll see you around on the Anchor Network. And also, good luck on your wheel and woe. All right, wheel or woe, as you are. Anchors away. Yep. So we're going to cut to a quick uh, paying the bills moment, do a little advertisement, and we'll be back after the break. All right, thanks for sticking around, and uh, we're back, so we're bringing you some topic, and you might ask yourself, well, what topic do they bring tonight? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. I mean, even if you, did, even if you didn't, well, you're going to learn right now. We're talking about system and class, and class versus system, and before you think we're talking about Marxism here, well, yeah, we're talking about classes as far as <laughs> D&D, Pathfinder, the whole gamut of games that yeah. have classes baked right in. Class systems, skill systems. Yep, versus ones that like Shadowrun, Call of Cthulhu, RuneQuest, or Stormbringer. That Even questioning the level system, uh, where, for instance, um, Earthdawn uh, yeah. brings in a very new array of concepts that the systemic differences and what kind of differences those can make in gameplay. Not to give too much away, uh, but we're not really going to... There is no one single system that we're just going to completely crap on, and there's no one that we're just going to loud as the the best of them all. But it is an examination of kind of, you know, what do all of these bring to the table? Right. 
And so we'll get started with talking about uh, D&D Pathfinder and even a little bit of Tunnels and Trolls and Dungeon Crawl Classics. They all have classes and uh, they provide you right out the gate the ease of entry. Yeah. So I mean, you want to be a... Here are these clearly delineated roles in what we refer to as classes. Uh, you know, the, the fighter slash warrior, uh, the rogue slash thief, mm-hmm. uh, the... Wizard slash mage, the cleric slash healer. You know, these are big archetypes, and they formed the basis for early class-based systems that have evolved into almost, you know, most of the major games we play today have some nod to it. Uh, So we're going to hit those first. Right, and, uh, you know, basically with uh, even like Tunnels and Trolls, which is basically you're a warrior, or you're a wizard, or... I guess now they have uh, some variations in the deluxe edition, but uh, just going to go on where the Tunnels and Trolls was the first game outside of the gate. They followed pretty much D&D's path of determining that you were a certain character starting your adventuring career. Yeah, that you had gotten your training previously. You had specialized in a very specific skill set. And it's worth mentioning that these, you know, games were originally meant for group play. You know, it was... It was intended to be uh, several people working together. And so the idea uh, intruded in right from the the start that each class has a unique skill set. You know, a function that they can bring to the party that somebody else isn't likely to have. Right. And that... um idea that you know you had a diverse group of characters from different backgrounds and races coming together with uh, their own classes from their previous adventuring or their ideal status in the world whether it be a paladin or a thief they were different from one another because they each one had a different niche to fulfill and could do different things besides just swing a weapon or hurl a few spells or have some nifty abilities but the Big, big point is, it's easy to understand the concepts of how to play a role-playing game around those type of characters. So it was very easy, and you can obviously understand from the get-go why you would want to go with that when you're introducing a brand new game that hasn't been seen. Oh, sure. And, I mean, it, it gives people, how do I put it, uh, a strong expectation baked in of what they should be doing when they play. Okay, uh, unlike some of the changes in systems that came later, the class-based systems gave you a window into, if you were unfamiliar with these games, and this is your first time sitting down, I, you know, I make a human fighter. Well, you, you're picking out your swords and weapons and figuring out uh, what you're skilled in using. Uh, you're kind of getting a good picture of what you're going to be best at. Mm-hmm. That, you know, I am the bulwark. I, I've got a tower shield and a spear, a long sword, and a short bow for emergencies. Uh, and I got a mace in case I run across anything that, uh, you know, is not easily dealt with by blades. Uh, that roundabout fashion, you figured out that you're the bulwark between the party and harmful things. That, you know, you're you're going to be moving into direct conflict with stuff on a moderately regular basis. So, you know, your role in the game is kind of made clear by the class that you start with. It just, it becomes this self-evident thing. 
Uh, and you're right, it makes a lot of sense to have that, especially in those early games where there were so few players and everybody was so new to it. Boom. Uh, it just really takes the learning curve down a notch. Yeah, because you could start with expectation. Like, I could, I want to be a fighter like King Arthur. Yeah, I'm going to Lancelot this. Yeah, Get you know, me I'm going to be a mail. knight and male, and I'm going to be a noble ruler one day by my own hand. Well, okay, you know, that gets you started. But here's the rules, how to make it happen, and this is what separates you from, say, the guy who stabs people in the back for a living. <laughs> I was a mugger, you know, that. So you're a criminal. Well, you know, that's one way of looking at it. I, I look at it as an opportunist. <laughs> it's, uh, I'm an, I have the entrepreneurial spirit and a diminished understanding of property, the finer points of property law. Mm. So. <laughs> yes. So you'll be the thief. And then you have <coughs> wise and sagacious and also very power hungry wizard. And of course, the taciturn and scolding cleric. Oh, lectures man. you every time you uh, get hurt. <laughs> I'll be more careful in combat, and you won't have to see me so often. Yeah, I'm sorry that the you know entire nest of goblins all had pointy stuff. Well, I mean, unless you want to, you know, try careful out. No, 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 that's your you job. Try careful out by walking up in front. I'm a man of the cloth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Um, those roles... Uh, became what we refer to as archetypes. And even in systems that have morphed out of that, those archetypes are still present in a lot of other games, even the ones that do not use precisely class-based systems. Right. So that's a, that. I think that's a good point to segue on. Let's Yeah, so then uh, like games like RuneQuest and Call of Cthulhu came out where they used the basic role-playing system that you were an adventurer, but your background, you were... Uh... Your uh, assortment of skills that you started to play with were determined by who you were before. Now, like in Call of Cthulhu, you could be a, a book-lorn antiquarian or a, a hard-boiled private detective. Ah, uh, yes. So, you know, like a, just the Sam Spade. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you got a 40- So, obviously, you got a forty-five and a mean right hook, so look yeah. out. Yeah, you got a bottle of whiskey in the desk and, uh, you know, Rolodex full of contacts. So. Right, and so that kind of helped you get started, but then you would go on these crazy, bizarre adventures. But also, like RuneQuest, everybody had magic, so there was no need to have a specific magic character. But like you said, there were gods and backgrounds where you were more skilled, like a shaman or a initiate or a, uh, a rune cultist, where you had a bit more magic or rune magic and spirit magic to start the game with. Yeah, and the... the- kindness that they did was rather than eliminating what we think of as class altogether, they had introduced a skill-based system and then prepared archetypes where here's a collection of skills that are the things this type of character is most likely to have already progressed in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it allowed for a lot of customization. And here's where the allure was, even in those early editions, is that it let people shape characters a little more personally. Uh, right. As opposed to hamstrung. You know, like, uh, wait, you know, you, you mean my my mage is, like, literally anything larger than a dagger is, like, off limits as sharp objects, you know? Well, yeah, you spend all your time studying books and learning spells. You know, such things are beyond you. Yeah, and 
when you start to see these tweaking processes, you begin to see these uh, opportunities where it's a process of give and take. Like, where do you invest your time and effort during the course of play? And the skills are out there for you to achieve. I mean, if you wish to invest time and effort in them, you'll be taking a little time and effort away from your magical skills, but you can develop a familiarity with martial weapons. So you right, can... so if you're an investigator, your private uh, dick wants to learn how to uh, read the Black Book of Ebion, well then, he can, and learn how to cast spells and summon Beinecke. Yeah. Oh, this is no Mickey Spillane novel, I'll oh, tell you yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad in Catholic school I was taught Latin. Eesh. Oh, Boy, that was hard. But yeah, you could change your character over time through play and also with the group you're with. If you succeeded at uh, some stealth roles, maybe you became the character that was more out in front. And of course, you like in RuneQuest, you could kind of start out as a thiefy character, but you could change your character and concepts and also, over time, develop to where the campaign and the style of play that you are currently with in the group dictated your needs. Yeah, and there are circumstances amongst gamers where sometimes circumstances evolve, okay, uh, in mid-campaign. I mean, you may have begun the campaign with uh, six people, and, you know, each of you had a really distinct role. Uh, and maybe you lose someone and gain someone else, and now you've got some, like, class overlap on one area, and then you don't really have a lot of uh, skill investment in another area that the party frequently finds itself needing. In the skill-based systems, players can slowly adapt, where you're like, okay, you know, we, we lost the guy who, who played the streetwise sneak uh, in Shadowrun. And so somebody else is going to have to, like, build up the, you know, the, the basic skills in breaking and entering, uh, alarm bypassing, and, uh, you know, little... Trap detection and yeah. disarmament. Yeah, mm. the, the classics. But, but we're totally not having classes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, there's no classes, but I'm your rogue. So, yeah, so and, yeah, I'm the guy who does the beginning stuff. So, yeah, no. you need that. But I would like to, at this point, kind of extend the outwards for a minute and take you on a little voyage. It's going to be a short three-hour tour, and we won't get marooned, I promise. Now, uh, we're going right. to compare this. It's a small island, Gilligan. That's Stay right. on your side of it. <laughs> Hey, I said I'm not going to maroon us. <laughs> Skipper. All right, so I'm going to compare this to the, we're going to go to the 80s, and we're going to say that there were two pop culture references that need to be known here. Now, games like RuneQuest, uh, Stormbringer, and Call of Cthulhu are like the A-team, where you have a diverse group of characters who pretty much are all ex-military, who are obviously good at kicking butt and firing weapons, but they all have different things, where, instance, Murdoch and uh, B.A. are both uh, drivers of a sort. You know, Murdoch doesn't drive, B.A. drives, because Murdoch's crazy. But Murdoch flies, <laughs> B.A. does not. And then you have Hannibal and Face. Now, they're both kind of intellectuals, but they're also different forms of the same character who is a schmoozer, a fast talker, and a deceiver. And they do it in different ways. But they all come together and have a diverse set of skills that complement one another. And, of course, that's what we're after. And then, on the other side, is G.I. Joe. Now, same thing, but, you know, certain characters in G.I. Joe are very good at one thing. Like, Snake Eyes is very good at breaking and entering and uh, sneaking around in infiltration. As also, say, Stalker is, but Stalker's kind of a, 
more direct in your face kind of guy. Or, you know, you got the guy with the laser gun, gun haver, or Flash as he was, and rock and roll, the guy with the uh, big heavy machine gun. They all have their own specific niches that nobody else crosses into, even though sometimes they brush up against each other. They're clearly defined in what their role is. And both of them, although they're military examples, and we're just going to cut out the buffoonery as we bring you back to port here. Mm-hmm. They're all ideas of how to get a successful group of people together and have a competent group that can withstand challenges and overcoming obstacles with a reasonable amount of success and everybody being involved. Now, uh, I suppose we should at least give a nod towards the extreme end of the spectrum. Uh, An example of level-based systems going almost too far to the point where, you know, like, inevitability pushes everybody in the same direction. Uh, an example would be the system in Skyrim. Now, you may start off, you're like, I'm going to be a mage. Uh, and another, you're like, I'm going to be a mighty fighter with a sword. Or, I'm going to be a, you know, deadly sneak thief rogue. You will be a fighter mage who snipes. Yes. And that is what you will be. You know, just, <laughs> I'm sorry. Yep, that will push you right off. <laughs> also, I wanted to bring up for uh, skill-based systems that uh, also got it right, like uh, RuneQuest and Stormbringer and Call of Cthulhu, was Traveler. Oh. Where wow. your backgrounds determined heavily what the skills you brought to the table. is. Even if you came from the same background, you could be completely different characters. And again, it's about playing the character you wanted to play. So, yeah, that, I, I, my only objection, of course, is... And I say this with love, okay... I, I gotta preface this with I say this with love, but old school traveler, you know I was in the military for sixteen years. I learned exactly four skills. So. Yep. <laughs> Brutal. Oh my gosh. Uh. <laughs> but I have a great uh gambling. Yeah. So I got gambling one, vac suit one, and uh oh what was it? Uh, I can I can use a sword and a carbine. So yeah, totally happens. <laughs> I'm a I'm a gambling fighter who can use a space vacuum suit. Yep. Uh, yeah, that. Wow, rough system. But but your point is well taken. I I hear oh, okay. you. You're yeah. not wrong. Yeah, you know, and you could add. We just uh, we're a little remiss. That ching. Yeah, we use that word. Um, in using uh, or forgetting to put travel right in there. But travel is one of those skill based systems, and. Another little uh, nugget to dig out of this is, out of all the games I've ever played, I've only known one other system that has used Wisdom, besides Dungeons & Dragons. Wisdom is a stat. Everyone has been willpower, or power, or whatever, you know, however you want to put it, or magic. Yeah, your mental attributes were usually uh, in other game systems. Yeah, Wisdom... Intelligence is common all the way throughout. Yep. Wisdom does not pop up a lot. That A lot of people inexplicably avoid that one. Yeah, because uh, I guess the, the idea was is that uh, I remember uh, Ken sent Andre, the guy who did Tunnels and Trolls and Stormbringer, said that uh, wisdom was not something you would attribute to somebody who goes in dark holes looking for monsters. So, um, But wisdom was more this kind of guidance that the player had that brung the table versus an expectation that the character was, you're wise enough, you wouldn't make a bad decision like that, would you? Okay. No, that's I, that's I, where the, the idea is, but, you know, that again is, we're going off a little bit on the weeds, but that is part of the class-based system versus the 
expectation of you have a diverse background that you determine, like with Shadowrun, where you buy a bunch of skills and uh, background packages and then create your character out of that along the lines of an archetype. Hey, I'm really good with guns and sneaking around the street. And they provide these terrific archetypes so yeah. that you can just literally plug and play. You know, so I guess the Street Samurai. Yeah. 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 Classics. Oh, which we certainly appreciated the effort because when you're mastering a new system and playing a game you don't know, being able to default to a provided archetype is terrific. And hey, worth mentioning, the folks over at Pathfinder with their Iconics, they took a note from that page years ago and said, hey, let's provide people with the ready-to-go, out-of-the-box kit. You know, yep, and a also job. a lot of personalization. I think of all the game systems, Pathfinder's done the best at making personalization out of cat characters using kind of a kit system or alternate class features along with alternate race and uh, other combinations to make the character you want. Straddles pretty much that thin line between skill-based systems and class-based systems. And skill-based systems, of course, we're not trying to say that either one's superior because, no, again, no. Uh, Mike's comparison is is that eventually you end up at the extreme, ending up being like, I am a fighter who has stealth and magic. I, I, I do want to mention one other extreme, which I, I think is probably worth mentioning uh, because it's relevant to this type of game theory here where mm-hmm. we're, we're talking about uh, system-based differences. Uh, a perfect example would be Hackmaster, where the process of creating a character, uh, they homaged the complexity of it in so mm-hmm. many other systems that had been issued in the past. Uh, Hackmaster lovingly homaged and yet also makes fun of the quirks, uh, building points, yep. the process of accepting a hindrance in order to gain a bonus. And this was a facet of a lot of different games. GURPS uh, primarily was the big one where you just had a a block of stats you started with, maybe race. If you're playing a fantasy game or science fiction, whatever, you would buy a a kind of a modular book that just plugs into the basic system. But then you buy quirks and flaws to get more advantages and um, different techniques on your character. So, yes, you could be a paraplegic, blind, and deaf computer hacker who is probably the world's greatest computer technician, but, you know, can't order a Big Mac without a uh, uh, smartphone handy and somebody to punch it for him. Yeah, you've, you've got to be wired into your deck at all times and communicate yep. people, you know, through... Communicate to others through a computer. Yeah. Uh, it just... The ludicrous nature of these extreme things, where if you, if you, there are recommended limits to it in most games, where like you, hey, you can take up to five points in flaws to buy five points in better skills and something else. Yep, Shadowrun and Deadlines did that a lot. Exactly. These were game balanced systems that were mindful of not letting that go too far, Shadowrun and... Yeah, GURPS ran ran wild with it, and there's a lot of fun that can be made about GURPS characters, but GURPS is a fine game that uses a lot of different approaches. Sometimes they do kind of do a class. I take the traits game leg and uh, male pattern baldness for another 15 building points. Oh, yeah, and I see you got the ingrown nose hairs for five. Yeah. Oh, those are really painful. (laughs) Uh, You know. Terrible acne, uh, halitosis, flatulence. Uh, however, I've just doubled my effective magical power. Oh, boy. Wow. <laughs> Nobody likes to hang out with him, but he's a great mage. Yes, he's a great mage. 
And of course, uh, another little joke that we'll do here is that, you know, when we talk about archetypes and uh, introductory characters, that, that to provide the basics for having the same thing as classes um, and getting back into the class uh, system and praise of them. One of the things that, like, 5th uh, edition and Pathfinder does very well is put into uh, play who you were before you started venturing with the backgrounds in 5th edition yeah, where and did you Pathfinder come from? and uh, with uh, background traits and campaign traits. And I love that facet. Uh, you know, it, I also actually, because there's a little hint of old school iron uh, player mentality, that I love randomness. Uh, yeah. That if you're really starting a campaign from scratch, sometimes it's fun. To just have everybody start rolling, you know, whatever the tables dictate, that's the background you came from, uh, and <laughs> you can get some wacky results. Uh, you might wind up with four people who were ex-sailors and all know their way around ships uh, in a landlocked campaign. Yeah, like in but... Stormbringer, you could have uh, four Vermilion sailors. Vilmer is a landlocked country. <laughs> I know! <laughs> yeah, well, they just traveled and found work. Oh, there's yeah. a land right across from that has access to a port. Yeah. It, you could get some wacky results that way, but I, I like backgrounds because uh, if you're forming a character and sometimes imagination is it's a little piece of work, okay? I mean... It, yeah, you may want to start a guy that has an axe and beats people with it. Yeah. But where did they come from? Oh, who cares? You know, well, I kind of wonder that. Yeah. You know, it might be a little excess work to just painstakingly fill in the blanks. I've never been the guy who had the 200-page backstory. True, but... I'd like a little something to tell me, you know, what are my motivations here? You know, what? how is this person supposed to act? Uh, you know, there's a lot of different shades to chaotic good. Uh, or, you know, there's there's a lot of wiggle room on true neutral. Yeah. What is this person like? And if you have an idea of where they came from, which backgrounds in systems that provide this, like, Here's a little tweak to certain skills and a little downside to others because of where you came from and what you were doing before you were an adventurer. Mm -hmm. And it, it is a safe assumption that the players have characters that did not spring fully formed from the head of Zeus. <laughs> exactly. Like my fifth edition fighter be having the noble background. I was wielding a halberd and a greatsword because, well... I just wanted to kill everything. But you know what? I did it with a noble style. <laughs> I like that you took high-power weapons there, mm -hmm. uh, You weren't kidding, were you? You just did like, I did not come to play. Y'all better come correct. <laughs> yeah. The, you can take the grognard out of the game, but you can't take the... Oh, yes, you can. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's just some habits of die hard, and that was my uh, retort to... Like, oh, I'm having a halberd and a two-handed sword. Well, what do you do when people get close? That's the whole part. They don't. <laughs> I invite them to try to last that long. So, <laughs> uh, okay, uh, I had a dagger, and, you know, I carried a small... Uh, cro I carried a light crossbow just for backup, but, you know. Yeah, and that's, that's old gamer experience talking right there, because uh, if you've ever been swallowed whole by a monster, you know, be it a uh, dinosaur-type uh, class creature or a kraken or other, like, huge sea monster-esque thing. Uh, that, that swallow hole roll, all of a sudden, your halberd don't mean jack. Uh, as a result of moments like those, 
I've never had a character without a dagger since. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <So>. Yep. <laughs> Just do not leave home without. But no matter what system you play, you know, all these games that we mentioned, none is really superior. I mean, I my personal love letter to, like, okay, you only had one role-playing game to pick. Okay, it would be Pendragon, because literally I think that uh, sitting around a table with friends, uh, playing Knights of Honor and uh, in dark forests and dark halls with roaring fires and great beasts of meat doing mighty quests fighting the dark forces of the Fae or in uh, chaotic uh, Saxon invaders or Utes. That's a great fun. That's a lot of great fun for me, and uh, that's always kind of where my mind has been at since a kid is you know being a knight or a uh, crusader on a quest. So yeah. why I gravitate towards paladins and uh, dwarves is yeah, because Mort to Arthur was one of the first books I read. I, I think I was about ten uh, or eleven. No, I, I think I was either nine or ten when I got my paws on that at the elementary school library. But even as knights. You all have different backgrounds, and each knight is individual as you come to the service of Arthur. True. Also, myth, uh, you know, in, in terms of the history and mythology, you know, likewise, yeah, they, they had specialties. They had unique personalities. They had strengths, like with and Deathwatch they had vices that in Warhammer were their weakness. Yeah, and each person comes with different ones. You may be a Saxon knight, lusty and ready for battle. Or you could be a... Uh, noble Inglis, who is, you know, trying to uphold the realm and all that. You know, there's a lot of fun to be had in these kind of archetype playing. And that's what really what we're getting at is even if they say, a lot of these games say they don't have classes, they have archetypes or niches that you can fulfill. Even RuneQuest with this bonded system, you still have those who are priests and those who are not. Yeah, and I, I have enjoyed the slow evolution. I mean, in all of these systems, you know, just one overarching sentiment about all of them is that I, I don't disapprove of the direction things have gone. No, we uh, It went from comparatively rigid and unyielding. So your 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 cleric can't use a sword. Yeah, I mean, you know, no cleric would ever use that. Well, not even a cleric of a god of making swords, you know. Uh, nope. Yeah, it was it was very, very limited in scope and very, very precise. Uh, and the drift towards you know, hey, uh, you know, not every bard is a uh, minstrel with a lute uh, singing tra-la-la, tra-la-la. Uh, mm-hmm. Some of them are like a skald of old who, you know, like literally is standing there with a giant boar spear uh, and a hand axe at their hip, uh, yelling poetry at the enemy. And blowing a, a horn now and then. Yeah, you know, just there's a lot of different concepts, a lot of different examples out there that are well worth looking into. Uh, and this, the new evolving systems showed a lot more openness to those ideas. So I, I'm in a pretty happy place. Yeah, and RuneQuest and Call of Cthulhu are in their prime again. And uh, yeah. I just got my hands on a fourth edition of uh, Pendragon. So I've been uh, oh, reading that. Or oh, you, you've been giving it the once over twice. Yeah, kind of thinking taking that over uh, my love of Space Marines Ooh. when I really started looking at it. Because, you know, they are knights. They have some similar goals. But anyway, we'll do that for another uh Podcast. I think we've worn out your ears and your patience. Yeah, yeah. We've 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 beaten the drum loudly enough for the differences in systems and the slow evolution thereof uh, on on these topics. I, I think we we yeah we can determine that whatever you play. Of course, it's it, 
Each one has a different uh, approach and has its advantages and disadvantages, but none are bad. Remember the none big of- rule. Play from your freaking heart! That's right. <laughs> so whether you have a skill-based system that you really like and groove on, like GURPS or Traveler, you can also look at uh, D&D and Pathfinder and say, you know, there's merit in both, and both are equally fun to play at different times. And depending on your mood, you may gravitate towards one or another. But nonetheless, uh, we're going to end it up there. And as always, you can get a hold of us on our Facebook page, The Dice Are Screaming, and of course on Twitter, where I'm at Death Hand Gaming. And myself at Magi Box. So drop by, leave us a message, let us know what you thought, what you think, and what you'd like to hear. Or if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, that's where you'll find us. So without further ado, we'll bid you a good night and may may the the dice dice always roll in your favor. favor. We're out. See ya. 